0: This is Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show tonight is The Terror and the Fall of
1: Robespierre.
0: We open with ça ira, ça ira, C'est the sans culotte version, ba- performed by Edith
2: Piaf. Saïra,
0: ira, meaning it'll be fine, is an emblematic song of the French Revolution, first heard in May 1790. The title and theme of the refrain were inspired by Benjamin Franklin in France as a representative of the Continental Congress, who was apparently quite popular among the French people. When asked about the American Revolutionary War, he would reportedly reply in somewhat broken French, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Some lyrics from the original version. Let us rejoice, good times will come. The French people used to keep silent. The aristocrat says, mea culpa. The clergy regrets its wealth. The state, with justice, will get it. Thanks to the careful Lafayette, everyone will calm down. Ah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. By the torches of the August Assembly, ah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And armed people will always take care of themselves. We'll know right from wrong. The citizen will support the good. But we open with the sans-culottes version. Sans literally translates, without breeches" and refers to the common people of the lower classes in late 18th century France, a great many of whom became radical and militant partisans of the French Revolution, in response to their poor quality of life under the Ancien Regime. This version delivers the threat of revolution. Ah, it'll be fine. Aristocrats to the lamppost. Ah, it'll be fine. Aristocrats, we'll hang them. If we don't hang them, we'll break them, if we don't break them, we'll burn them. It is often said that modernity begins with the French Revolution, and that this is the first great historical experience of the emptiness underlying established structures, and therefore of the possibility of radical transformation. And at its center, reaping the whirlwind perhaps, came the reign of terror. Its beginning is disputed, but there is a general consensus that it ended with the fall of Robespierre, who was executed on July 28, 1794. Robespierre gave his famous speech on political morality on February 5th, proclaiming, terror without virtue is fatal. Virtue without terror is impotent. It can be read as doublespeak or as a statement that certain things are worth defending, even if doing so requires violence. One can, perhaps always should, point out that the claim that certain things are worth defending by violent force is a constant of the imperialist project. Elliot Cohen, counselor to Condoleezza Rice in the U.S. State Department from 2007 to 2009, and currently the director of the Strategic Studies Program at the School of Advanced International Studies of the Johns Hopkins University, published a book in 2017 titled The Big Stick, the limits of soft power, and the necessity of military force. Echoing, of course, the famous dictum of U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt that the U.S. should speak softly and carry a big stick. The French Revolution begs the question of who gets to carry that big stick. Our guest today is Rebecca Spang, a professor in the Department of History at Indiana University and is the director of the Center for Eighteenth-Century Studies. She has published primarily on the interaction of politics, culture, and consumption. Her most recent book is Stuff and Money in the Time of the French Revolution, A New History of Money and A New History of the French Revolution, showing that revolutionary radicalization was driven by the ever-widening gap between political ideals and the experience of daily life. And now, The Terror and the Fall of Robespierre, on Interchange, on WFHB. Rebecca Spang, welcome to Interchange.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks for being here. It's May Day, traditionally a celebration of spring in the Northern Hemisphere. But also the day chosen as the date for International Workers Day by the socialists and communists of the Second International to commemorate the Haymarket Affair in Chicago, where seven men were executed by the state for being anarchists. In May Day celebration, interchange brings you the terror. I say that a little Mm tongue-in-cheek, but so much of social upheaval and future revolutions can be seen burgeoning out of the French Revolution, right? Um, So... We are here to talk about the terror aspect of the French Revolution, but we do have to talk about the French Revolution before we can get into that. So if you don't mind, Rebecca, kind of give us a framework of what exactly that means. What's understanding, uh, I guess, uh, as briefly as possible that. We can't understand it in in this radio hour.
3: (laughs) So the crucial thing to know about the French Revolution is despite the label, it's not a single event. Mm -hmm. It's not that people say, oh, right, we just had a revolution. What's happening is really 10 years, the entire period of the 1790s, in which legitimate political authority keeps moving around in such a way that people really don't know where it's located in France. Mm. Um, and this starts with a fairly unstable, but for at least the first half of the French re- of the period we call the French Revolution, um, important coming together of two different sets of demands. One is a demand for greater political freedom Mm -hmm. made by elites, including, for instance, the Marquis de Lafayette, right, Mm -hmm. who had fought in the American Revolutionary War, who wants something like an American-style constitutional government, but with a king. Mm. It's going to be a constitutional monarchy, like in Great Britain. So we've got these elites demanding political reform and a voice, especially in taxation. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, we've got a crowd of people in Paris who can be mobilized with the th- and threaten popular violence? Mm. So it's the coming together of the demand for political change and the possibility of social unrest and popular violence that really makes the French Revolution the model for later revolutions in the nineteenth and twentieth centuries.
0: Mm. So the elites in particular were pushing um, from that direction more so than than underneath? Or was it just kind of a perfect storm of... of
3: No, 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 very much um, throughout the 1780s. It's um, judges, it's lawyers, Mm. it's uh, uh, high-placed aristocrats who are demanding changes. Part of the issue is that one of the benefits of being uh, a nobleman in old regime France was that you didn't pay taxes. This was problematic for the king who Mm -hmm. needed a source of revenue. And so the king was trying to reform and create a sort of government that would be able to tax everybody's wealth. Mm. And it's a protest against that that ah. actually starts the concatenation of events that we now call the French
0: Revolution. Taxes at the center of everything always. Yes, they are.
3: They are. And and rich people <laughs> claiming that they're not defending themselves but they're defending the little guy.
0: The common man. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to pay taxes, so they should. We don't want them to pay taxes. Right. Well, that's not that didn't turn out to be the case. Usually, right? <laughs> that's the nice thing about it. But the revolution does have as its overarching characteristics these uh, these demands for human rights, like right? the rights of man, the revolution is kind of known in that sense, more more so than anything else, probably.
3: Right. Well, in the summer of 1789, once a group of men, 1,200 of them, it's a lot of people, uh, who had been elected to be one sort of body, refused to meet as that, say, no, we are a national assembly, we're going to write a constitution. Mm -hmm. And before they start writing a constitution, they write a declaration of the rights of man and the citizen. We know the final version. But we also have access to lots of different drafts. Um, So there's one version that would have been the Declaration of the Rights and Duties Mm. of the Citizen. Um, And some members of the National Assembly thought that it was uh, premature to be writing a Declaration of the Rights of Man. Um, until they had a constitution written. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even that, the most famous legacy of the French Revolution, which really becomes the basis for the UN's Declaration mm-hmm. of Human Rights in 1948, um, that was controversial at the time.
0: Mm. That's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier lawyers and judges. And I know, uh, you know, in our title of the show, we've ha- we we mentioned the fall of Robespierre. Yep. Robespierre, also a, a lawyer, right? Very much uh, so. Uh, and and uh, this is a big part of the... The left side of this, and per, and human rights, or rights of people beyond monarchy, as much as anything else, right? Rights, how to develop? Um, are these property rights? Or the I mean, well,
3: that's part mm-hmm. of the challenge. Okay. Is that in the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen, it begins with the claim that all men are born and remain free and equal, mm-hmm. and that there are no distinctions other than those that are useful, um, but. Item 17 in the Declaration of the Rights of Man guarantees property rights. Mm. So that means, given the inheritance structure of old regime France, that people don't start out equal. Right, um, And so there's a tension between the political statement about equality and the social reality of really... Massive inequality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, when we, when uh, in the beginning of the show, I also, uh, we, we played the song that is uh, a version, a sans culotte version. Yes. Um, what is that? What I mean, what's, what, what is that in terms of this this particular um, um, brewing revolution? What?
3: Do you mean what is a sans culotte or what yeah. is a sa <laughs> uh,
0: Well, we could do both, I suppose, but uh, what is a sans culotte?
3: Okay. What is a sans culotte? The crucial thing to know is that sans culotte, An aristocrat are political categories Mm -hmm. onto which social caricatures are mapped. So by the time that that version of the song exists, a sans culotte is somebody who supports the revolution. But there are people who were born into the wealthiest families in France, who have noble titles going back to the 14th, 15th century. Mm -hmm. Somebody like the Marquis de Le Plétier. Le Plétier, can quote-unquote sans-culottiser himself mm. by sympathizing with the revolution. Okay. So it's a political position. Similarly, to be an aristocrat is to oppose the revolution. Mm. But you could be a poor peasant woman who opposes the revolution because of its stance on the Catholic Church and still be, quote-unquote, an aristocrat or a hmm. friend of the aristocrats because you oppose the revolution. Oh so so the social categories and the political categories don't map as neatly as mm-hmm. some caricatured histories of the revolution would have us believe.
0: It's hard to move beyond caricatured histories generally, <laughs> right? It is. It, it is, is, unfortunately. Right. Well, we, uh, let's, if we can, uh, sort of determine who are our central figures as we move into uh, this period. You know, what, who... who I guess who can we name that is someone that starts the revolution in a sense, or starts you know becomes then start the. It's not a match, of course, but no. but but a couple. Uh, we mentioned Robespierre. There are other key figures that are a part of this left. Uh, p- well, there are going
3: to be a number of key figures. I mean, the Marquis de Lafayette, for instance, who we mentioned, is really sort of the hero of the revolution until the summer of 1792. Mm. He's the commander of the French armies, mm-hmm. and then he defects in summer 1792 when a republic is declared. Oh, yeah. So, Uh yeah.
0: That'd be like George Washington staying a red coat or turning over to. He's the Arnold, Benedict Arnold. Yeah,
3: exactly. Um, So, um, we can think about Lafayette. We can think about people who really made their name in the National Assembly. Mm -hmm. One name you've mentioned is Maximilien Robespierre. Mm who um, made a name for him. He's a lawyer from a little town in the provinces. He makes his name uh, as a proponent of universal citizenship rights. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think there should be a property qualification in Mm. order to be a voting citizen or somebody who can be elected. He makes his name in opposition to slavery. Um, And earlier, he had made his name uh, supporting women's access to learned Mm -hmm. societies. Mm.
0: He sounds like a good guy. He's also an opponent of
3: the death penalty.
0: I love this guy already. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um,
3: So (laughs) another figure you need to know about, perhaps, um, is a journalist Mm. named um, Mahra. Mm -hmm. And what Mahra managed to do, he styles himself l'ami de peuple, the friend of the people, Mm -hmm. and uh, he positions himself as the one telling the truth, right? Sure. Pay no attention to all this fake news. Uh, I right. know who the people's enemies are. Right. Nobody has the people's interests in heart. Mihrabo mm. is a scoundrel. So Mihrabo, another real hero of the first year and a half of the revolution, mm. um, who then dies in April 1791, so we don't know if he would have continued a hero. Mm. Um, but by 1792, we actually know he's sort of in cahoots um, with the palace, and his reputation falls. Into disarray.
0: Yikes! Well, we'll uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll we'll do a couple of more. Maybe Uh, I think there's Danton. We can we can can talk about about about. Danton. And we'll go from there. Uh, okay. So it's time for a break. We'll listen to Carmagnole sharing its name with a popular dance. This song heaps scorn upon the Queen, Madame Vito, uh, believed to be a traitor, and the aristocrats who support her, mainly uh, sung as a rallying cry or as entertainment among pro-revolutionaries. It was also used as an insult to those who did not support the French Revolution. Stay with us for more on the French Revolution and the terror with Rebecca Spang when Interchange returns.
4: Support for WFHB comes from the Limestone Post, an independent magazine covering Bloomington and the surrounding areas. Introducing their first print edition, an art magazine dedicated to local history and sense of place with corresponding art show and release party at the Eiffel Gallery on June June 1st from 6 to 9 p.m. More information is available online at limestonepost.com. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB.
0: Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our guest is Rebecca Spang, and our topic is the terror or the reign of terror as an aspect of the French Revolution. Aspect seems too small a word. That conjures nothing if not violence and bloodshed and the, the phrase off with their heads, perhaps. Some of the lyrics of the song we just heard, Antoinette had decided to drop us on our arses. I like that. But the plan was foiled and she fell on her face. Her husband, thinking he was victorious, little did he know our value. Go, Louis, big crybaby from the temple into the tower. Go, get out of here. Yeah, he lost his head too. So everybody loses their head it 's a time of losing their head, uh, so violence obviously is an important part of this. Uh, the French Revolution is as as we said earlier, famous for Declaration of the Rights of Man, uh, which becomes the basis for uh, basically all humanitarian rights uh, in Well, currently, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, But also violence is a big part of this revolution in particular. Uh, We could argue that there are many revolutions that don't have as much violence, uh, but this one had quite a bit of violence, yeah? Yeah.
3: Well, I think it's partially how we remember it.
0: Gotcha. Right? Um, sure.
3: Holger Hook, who's just uh, published a absolutely fascinating, very important book about the violence in the American Revolution.
0: Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: or Steve Pincus on 1688, The Glorious
1: Revolution. Mm-hmm. It's
3: about the memory. Mm. And so the crucial thing that I always ask my students is how would our view of the French Revolution changed if we call it what it really was, the French Civil War.
0: Mm, Then we're not
3: going to be surprised at the violence. Right,
0: right. Um, We had one here. It was really, really, really violent.
3: Right. And so we'll come to understand that a lot of the violence is because there isn't sort of a moment at which the whole country says, okay, fine, we'll have a revolution. Mm -hmm, Right mm -hmm. from the very beginning, there is a split. Mm. People who support what the National Assembly stands for, people who are appalled by it. Mm. And every step along the way, as the members of the National Assembly say, okay, we'll do this and this will get things sorted and then we're done Mm -hmm. and we can calm down whatever they do ends up triggering mm. another sort of reaction
0: as a, what is what is the civil war aspect then so here it's easy to talk about civil war because we have a very black and white sense of what that means definitely <laughs> right no pun intended right. there but a north and south divide yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, it's a complicated war too in many ways but mm-hmm. at a very basic especially in indiana level. yeah that's right um, but what is is this civil war as simple as that
3: well the fundamental issue in the french revolution so War is going to be about the status of the church. Oh, okay mm-hmm. so the in order to pay debts that the monarchy has accumulated when it was an absolutist monarchy, the National Assembly decides to nationalize properties held by the Catholic Church. Many in the church actually supported this. They said, you know, after all, nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus say, go forth and be property developers. Right. But somehow the Good Catholic the Church had ended up sitting on what was imagined to be 20, 30, 40% of the land in France. Oh, okay. It was more likely really like about 9 or 10%. Mm. But the fantasy that the Catholic Church had this spectacular wealth mm-hmm. and we'll just take a little bit of it and then the problems will be solved mm. was very, very powerful. As soon as that happens, half the country is saying, no, we can't support this. (laughs) Um, And roughly half the parish priests are telling their congregations, um, don't support the revolution, Mm -hmm. this is sacrilege. Mm. So that's the main fault line, and will continue to be a fault line in French society, culture, and politics really into the 1990s and beyond.
0: Mm, as long as the the uh, execution by guillotine was still going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so the church uh, and the fault lines, as you say, uh, have to do, uh, I, there, there are things called the September massacres, right? And, okay, so the yeah. September
3: massacres, mm-hmm. that's going to be something different. So okay. what's happened is um, mm-hmm. the country is divided about where legitimate authority belongs. Mm-hmm. Then in the summer of 1791, the king runs away under cover of darkness. Crybaby. Right. Which um, really messes up the idea that what they're doing is writing a constitution for a constitutional monarchy. Gotcha. Because the kings made it obvious I don't want anything to he do
0: didn't with it, right? Okay. Right? Mm-hmm.
3: They bring him back and they concoct this very elaborate fiction that he has been kingnapped. Somebody stole our king, but we're so lucky we got him back.
1: And
3: then in the course of uh, autumn 1791 and spring of 1792, there are armies partially of French aristocrats who have emigrated, but also of um, forces from the various German-speaking countries Mm. with – financial support from Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Armies massing around the edges of France to invade and say, enough of this constitutional monarchy nonsense. We want things the way they used to be before 1789. Mm. France declares war on those other countries for harboring, are, you could say, terrorists, mm. intent on taking down the revolutionary government. Mm. And with the outbreak of war, obviously, everybody panics things get very dark. What you're referring to as the September massacres Mm -hmm. is the point at which the uh, commander of one of the German armies, the Duke of Brunswick, has said, we are going to invade Paris and when we get there, it will be exemplary violence. So he's threatened basically to burn the city of Paris down. Mm. Um, Paris crowds, not being at all rational, probably being quite drunk, (laughs) think, you know, there are people in prison that are in prison because we suspect them of being sympathetic mm-hmm. with those foreign armies. Mm-hmm. We, If we let them live, they are going to support this. Mm-hmm. So we'd better go into the prisons and kill them all. Ah. And that's what we call the September Massacres, which is a horrible, horrible tragedy. Close to a thousand people lost their lives.
0: Mm. By, perpetrated by hundreds of people? Or?
3: Perpetrated by hundreds of people with the support of many hundreds more. Mm. Um, and... Interestingly, you can find correspondence you know, from middle-class women mm-hmm. saying, this was a terrible thing, but it had to happen to keep us safe. Mm. So wow. if you think about the rhetoric,
1: mm-hmm. say, after
3: 9-11 yeah. about keeping this country safe, right. that's how many people thought about the September massacres when they happened.
0: Wow. Wow. Hmm. The more things change, mm-hmm. right? Right. Okay. Uh, well, it's uh, it's one of the things again. The imagination is stuck with the uh, your, as you say already, historical caricatures, right? Yes. So, in my head, the French Revolution is just one big guillotine, right? They it's,
3: had lots of guillotines. Wow.
0: Well, so they had to manufacture uh, sure, more than one. Well, that, that, I'm sure they needed to, right? <laughs> uh, but um, one thing to I guess an interesting aspect of it. That may be interesting, is that um, the creation of this killing device is a liberal progressive move, It is. Right? It is.
3: Very much so. Very much so. Um, in old regime France, so before the revolution, if you were an aristocrat convicted of a capital crime, you could have your head quickly cut off by a master executioner who knew what he was doing. However, if you were a commoner who had committed a capital crime, you would be executed by hanging, mm. which takes 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes. Um, sometimes, in fact, they cut you down and you weren't quite completely dead yet. Mm. Um, it was a public ceremony when people came and watched. Um, and so the idea was to come up with an egalitarian, egalitarian. form. Of execution,
0: yeah, sure, and
3: that's what the guillotine was—quick and easy, quick and easy.
0: Yeah, scary,
3: and use the same method on everybody. Mm.
0: And I did mention earlier, and this was um, this was Wikipedia knowledge. Which, if you listen to the show enough, you'll find that that's where I get all my knowledge. <laughs> the, uh, but, <laughs> that's why
1: you need guests.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. The uh, well, I could just be talking. I could read the Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but I think it, I think it did mention that it was the, the still the form of execution in France. Oh, yeah. Up until like 1980-something.
3: Yeah, until um, uh, capital punishment is outlawed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I, I don't know why I, that surprised me so much. Uh, we have the electric chair here, I suppose, and I don't know when that happened. So
3: Yeah, I don't know when the electric chair was
1: invented. Mm,
0: yeah, interesting. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's jump really quickly into – let's start with the terror then because we haven't really talked about it, right? The, All right, so what we start- call yeah. the terror. Right, okay, good.
3: Is a particular period in the history of the revolution from September 1793 to July 1794. Mm -hmm. And we call it that because on the day of September 5th, 1793, the crowds in Paris, maybe 10, 20,000 people, march on the convention, which at that point is the executive body. It's an elected body from all across France, about 700 men. Hmm. The crowds in Paris march on the convention and demand, quote, that terror be declared the order of the day. Hmm. The convention, in fact, never actually does that. But that demand has so stuck in the minds, both of the people who lived through it and of later generations, that this period is now called the reign of terror.
0: What what does terror mean then? Right. So that's a
3: really Mm -hmm. interesting question. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important to remember that in 18th century France, terror was something that was a property of God, hmm. right? God would terrorize sinners. Okay. Kings were the terror of their enemies. Um, terror, I mean, much as you might say uh, that you could frighten somebody out of having the hiccups, mm-hmm. terror was actually a sort of medical device. Okay. Okay. So what the crowds are demanding when they say terror should be the order of the day is a version of enough having parliamentary debates, Just say, we have no tolerance for bad guys, Mm. we support the good guys, and get things cleaned up. And certainly one thing that is introduced in the aftermath of this is the infamous law on suspects, which says that you can be jailed simply if you are suspected Mm -hmm. of harboring anti-revolutionary sentiment.
0: This is kind of like our espionage act. Yeah. Yeah. It, again, the more things change right yeah, yeah. Oh. well, the state has to well, you mentioned earlier in conversation off the air that a part of the issue is that there there is no str- no strong state here. there's right. like, One, I mean,
3: remember, there are lots of different groups claiming to be the legitimate government. Mm-hmm. So you've got an elected group of men in Paris, but you've also got people in the west of France raising armies to defend the Catholic Church and the King. I mean, there is a literal civil war Mm -hmm. going on in Western France in which many, many, many more people die than are executed by the guillotine. Um, And at the same time, France is at war with most of continental Europe. So it's a really very desperate situation Mm -hmm. that the French Republic finds itself in in uh, winter 93 into
0: 94. When you say at war with the rest of continental Europe, does does continental Europe are they are they trying to like take over France? You said earlier, let's you know, get back let's have France be back the way it was. Right. So right. What, what's so the, that's so
3: I mean, think about what happens at the end of the revolutionary and Napoleonic period. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of Europe Defeats Napoleon mm-hmm. and it's Louis XVI's little brother who comes in right. as king. Mm-hmm. So what they are really wanting to do um, once Louis Sixteenth has been executed is to put an end to this revolutionary nonsense. Um, and at this point, his son is still alive. Mm-hmm. The idea is, you know, they could put him in, there'd be a regent and we'd just be done with this. Gotcha. So it's really about the survival of the revolution. The survival of the idea of human rights, mm-hmm. the survival of the idea of a republic as something right. that can exist in Europe—that's at the stake. Door
0: is Europe saying we want the to maintain the aristocratic? We want to maintain
3: absolutist absolutist monarchies. Church too. Church, mm-hmm, yeah. So mm-hmm. certainly, um, okay. the Pope has, you know, said you know half of France is excommunicated.
0: Okay. Hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, that makes sense then. Okay. Uh, well, let's take another break. Uh, we'll hear two songs uh, I've jammed together. I apologize. One is a patriotic song on the unveiling of the bust of Marat and Le Pelletier. Le Pelletier. Le Pelletier. Thank you. Uh, the song honors journalist Jean-Marc Marat and. Jean-Paul Marat and Deputy Michel Le Pelletier, both of whom had been assassinated and were considered martyrs to the revolution. The other is a funeral hymn for General Hoche and was performed at the state funeral held in Paris for Lazare Hoche. Only 29 when he died, Hoche was already famous for his daring military leadership against the Prussians in 1793 and for the role he played in helping to quell counter-revolution in the west of France. Stay with us for more with Rebecca Spang on the terror when interchange turns.
5: Citoyado <laughs>
4: Support for WFHB also comes from the Uptown Cafe, established in 1976. Located at 102 East Kirkwood Avenue, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner, as well as wine, beer, spirits, and cocktails. More information is available online at the-uptowncafe.com. Support for WFHB comes from the Limestone Post, an independent magazine covering Bloomington and the surrounding area, introducing their first print edition, an art magazine dedicated to local history and sense of place, with corresponding art show and release party at the Eiffel Gallery on June 1st from 6 to 9 p.m. More information is available online at limestonepost.com. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB.
5: Shaw Tu
0: donnes cela capté, capté là Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. My guest is Rebecca Spang, a professor in the Department of History at Indiana University, whose most recent book is Stuff and Money in the Time of the French Revolution: A New History of Money and a New History of the French Revolution, showing that revolutionary radicalization was driven by the ever-widening gap between political ideals and the experience of daily life. Uh, terror in the daily life of the Parisians. Uh, now I think of the terror, and I think of Paris, as, mm. but it's but you. You mentioned that this is that a civil war and there are people being uh, hacked to pieces and shot and whatnot all over the, the country, right? The country is in turmoil at this point. Yes. The, and the terror is a part of trying to bring the country under some kind of stability or to maintain yes, a, okay Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the
3: crucial thing to keep in mind is that what we call terror today was an effort by the national convention, the national government, to try to defend itself – as the source of legitimate power. At a time when others in France were saying, no, we're the legitimate Mm -hmm. power because we defend the Catholic Church and the King. We're the legitimate power because we're the municipal government of the city of Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that sense, it's true that a lot of our, again, popular imagery focuses on Paris, but the convention sends some of its members into the provinces Mm -hmm. um, on mission to try to quell civil war, um, reduce violence. Um, Some of them, some of the people sent on mission, uh, actually proved to be very violent, unstable figures themselves Mm. who delight in just lining up a bunch of people in a firing squad. There are terrible massacres in Lyon and in Nantes. Um, And on the other hand, you also have representatives on mission who spend their time doing things like trying to figure out food relief systems mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. better road systems and really trying to make the revolution mean something meaningful right. to people in little villages in rural
0: France. The revolution has to operate as a government. Yeah. The idea That's at that point,
3: part right? of the real problem that the convention faces, that they are both the executive for a very, very shaky nation mm-hmm. And if they're a revolutionary body, when is the revolution going to be over? Mm. Right? The speech that you quoted in the opening from Robespierre, mm-hmm. that's where he starts. And he says, well, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> the time has come to say, what are the revolution's goals? What are the ideals? Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, when we're no longer at war, we aren't going to need terror anymore. Mm. But now we have to defend these ideals because otherwise we'll lose them.
0: Mm. So his famous words, right? Um I'm blanking on them right now, of course. Um, <laughs> terror w- without Terror virtue. without
3: which virtue mm-hmm. is impotent. Mm-hmm. Virtue without which terror is tyranny.
0: Mm. So we unpack that. He's or basically despotism. saying we're going to have to kill some people yeah. to defend these particular rules we're putting in place, right? To defend the government we have. Yes. People will have to die. Right. This is obviously a a difficult aspect of revolution all the time, right? To say, if you're Castro, he says, I've got to kill the supporters of... I'm forgetting that guy's name now, but the person, the, the puppet that the U.S. had in power at the right. time. Uh, same thing, obviously, with Lenin, I assume, and Trotsky. You've got to kill some people. Stalin killed many, of course. And yes. More like the person you said that went on mission and yes. started to kill everybody. But this is the problem we face, right? How to legitimize violence because the state always legitimizes violence so
3: but think about it also Mm -hmm. that if i mean imagine a humanitarian intervention in rwanda Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if there had been one to Mm -hmm. prevent the genocide in rwanda Mm -hmm. it would not have happened without a cost of human life yeah yeah
0: yeah right so
3: it's always
0: Yeah, That makes sense. Uh, So uh, let's jump back into our song a little bit. These are uh, what we call martyrs to the French Revolution. And um, uh, Hoche was um, uh, a hero early on, right? Hoche is very much
3: a hero Mm -hmm. of the civil – well, he's a Republican hero Mm
0: -hmm. –
3: of the Civil War I mentioned in the west of France Mm -hmm. in the Vendée. Um, the other two martyrs that you mention um, are interesting stories. I Already mentioned, Mahra, mm-hmm. the journalist, uh, stabbed in his bathtub um, by a woman, Charlotte Cardet, who thought that if she killed Mahra, there would no longer be somebody claiming to speak for the people, mm-hmm. and the revolution would just sort of fall apart. It S- didn't work that she way. She was
0: a supporter of.
3: She was a supporter of a constitutional monarchy. Mm -hmm. She really thought that, you know, all of the popular agitation was due to Mahra's journalism Ah. and that if you got rid of him, um, things would be okay. Mm -hmm. She was very, very wrong about that. Um, uh, The other one you mentioned, Le Pletier, I mentioned very briefly as Mm -hmm. one of the wealthiest men in France Mm -hmm. who becomes a hero of the revolution Mm -hmm. and he's one of the many members in the convention who votes yes on the death penalty for Louis XVI. Mm. And then after he does that, he goes and he's having dinner in a restaurant, and he's stabbed by a royal guard. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that the revolution's martyrs are not what we think of as, you know, uh, starving peasants. Mm -hmm. They're not downtrodden shoemakers. They're actually, you know, people who are leading political figures. Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. also this sort of possibility and threat of assassination Mm. that is going to make for the members of the convention, uh, again, the 700 men who think that they're the national government, make them all the more uneasy Mm -hmm. and nervous and desperate about rooting out Mm -hmm. counter-revolution. The thing about Robespierre's uh, famous speech on political morality is he leaves it really hard to know if he thinks you're a counterterror, counterrevolutionary. Mm-hmm. a counter-revolutionary, um, and he says, you know, you may be doing all the things that you expect a revolutionary to do. But if in your heart you don't really love the republic, right. then you're not really a revolutionary.
0: You've got some thought crime in there somewhere, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is where, uh, again, it seems like, you know, the in, uh, infighting is too kind of word in some sense, mm. right? Where where it really begins to to double down on executing people who were revolutionaries in the first place. Yes. More moderate revolutionaries, perhaps?
3: Not even always more oh, okay. moderate okay. on both sides. I mean, so mm. – One of the key defining things that happens in the period we call the terror.
0: Robespierre is in charge of this period for the most part? or
3: Robespierre is one of the 12 men who form the Committee of Public Safety.
0: Oh, okay. Mm -hmm.
3: Each member, which basically becomes the executive branch within the National Convention. Gotcha. Each member of the Committee of Public Safety has their own thing that they're responsible for. I mean, Jean mm-hmm. de saint andre is the guy in charge of the Navy. Okay. So we don't hear about him very mm-hmm. much because people don't tend to think about the French Navy <laughs> in this period, right? Um, so Robespierre is really the man in charge of crafting um, political ideology. Um, Bertrand Barère is the spokesman for the Committee of Public Safety. You know, if you Want a speech given on something, Bahreur is going to do it for you. Right. Um, so they all have their own roles to play. And there will be members of the Committee of Public Safety sent to the guillotine for being you know, too far to the left, too far to the right. It's really an effort, a very failed and flawed effort and an increasingly panicky effort to consolidate authority and try to figure out what this whole revolution is about. Hmm. Because we still don't really – no.
0: Hmm. We know now, though. Well, no. No. Oh, okay. Because,
3: I mean, I alluded earlier to mm-hmm. the conflict between the idea of the defense of property rights mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the idea that everybody is born equal. Right. If everybody is born equal, then that would seem to suggest that property can't be inherited.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: But that's a pretty radical idea.
0: That is radical. You can't start at zero. Right. Although you can.
3: Well, so... Well,
0: that's the idea, right? right.
3: If, if we really want to support the idea that everybody's born equal, mm-hmm. then... You start at zero. Everybody has to start at zero. Let's do it. <laughs> and one proposal never put in place in the French Revolution was that basically, you know, all child rearing would mm-hmm. be nationalized. Mm-hmm. So everybody would have the same childhood experience okay. sort of based on the model of Sparta. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, it's far out there. Ideal, mm-hmm. um, but how else are you going to create people who really are equal?
0: Mm. How to create people? It's a big question. Yes, probably not within this like bloodbath of, of, of <laughs> exactly cutting off heads. Right? How to but to get to the other side of that is the purpose, right? We're going to yes. cut the, the, everybody's the, head off and get on the other side.
1: Yes, right?
3: Because part of the um, uh, one logic, if there is a logic to cutting people's heads off, is we have the people who are what they are because of their experiences of the past. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And if we
3: want to get to the other side,
0: mm-hmm.
3: then these are not the right people to have. Yes. So yes. we need to yeah. – st- I mean, this is where the idea of the revolution as the origin of modernity comes from. Oh. Right? The idea of mm-hmm. modernity as a break with the past.
0: Right. The,
3: um, so right. there's a lot in the rhetoric of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. It's about making a break with the past. For instance, they introduce a new calendar. Mm-hmm. 1793 is your autumn 1793 year one
1: mm-hmm.
3: or 1792 um, so they try to start all over again and at the same time one of the reasons they're so desperate to start all over again is they have all the inherited rubble uh-huh. of the old regime some of it quite literal. And some of it figurative in terms of debt, in terms of ideas. Right. Um, so that's the challenge they face.
0: Oh, boy. Now, you said earlier that they, they, they feel like some sort of honor to uphold their debts rather than just saying there are no debts anymore.
3: Yes. So one thing that's really different about um, the property logic of the French Revolution compared to the Bolshevik Revolution mm-hmm. is that in the Russian Revolution, when the Bolsheviks come to power, they say – well, yes, I know the Tsar borrowed lots of money and owes all of this, but we didn't borrow that money, and now we're a new regime, and so never mind. We repudiate all of that debt.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Whereas the French revolutionaries, because of this very strong commitment to property mm-hmm. rights, they say, oh, all right, the king borrowed all this money. We need to pay it back. And it's not until 1797, in a period that most people who know anything about the French Revolution don't even really think about very often, that they repudiate two-thirds of that. Hmm. They, they sort of they write it off. go ahead and off. do it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but that, the default of two-thirds, they're still saying, we're being honorable. Hmm. We're just rewriting it.
0: <laughs> well, writing it down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's time for another break. This is our final break. We'll hear La, Ver- La Reveille du peuple. Thank you. That's translated to either the awakening or alarm of the people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this song demands revenge for the crimes and bloodshed of the terror. It was quickly adopted as an anthem by the gilded youth of the Thermidoran reaction, who sang in opposition to singers of the Marseillaise. It begins, people, French people, people of brothers, can you see without shuddering with horror the crime to display the banners of carnage and terror. You suffer an atrocious horde and murderers and robbers soiling with its fierce breath the territory of the living. i read that terribly, but it's it's really a scary song. Yeah. So let's go ahead and hear it. <laughs>
5: assassin and brigands. Chers à dans le temple de mémoire, au sein de l'immortalité, à qui le ferait... Apaisez-vous dans vos tombeaux
0: Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB. Our show is The Terror and the Fall of Robespierre. Our guest is IU history professor Rebecca Spang, whose work focuses on the interaction of politics, culture, and consumption in the 18th century primarily. 18th Uh, Her most recent book is Stuff and Money in the Time of the French Revolution. We just heard a song that uh, um, we talked about at the break uh, that is intended to caricature or, I guess, smear... Robespierre smeared the 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 terror, right? Right.
3: So in um, the course of 1794, members of the National Convention are increasingly anxious that they may next be identified Mm -hmm. as counter-revolutionaries. So what happens in the convention is basically a plot, a conspiracy. You could kind of call it a coup, except the army isn't involved, Mm -hmm. that says – We've got to get rid of Robespierre because he seems to have sort of gone off the rails. He's denouncing everybody. And if we could just get rid of Robespierre, then we will no longer be sending people to the guillotine.
0: Was he denouncing everybody?
3: Um, He was being very vague about who he was denouncing. Mm -hmm. And when he did denounce people, there seemed always to be support for him. Okay. So – and the pace of executions was accelerating in Mm -hmm. the course of June and July of 1794, even as the war and the Civil War seemed to be going more on the Republic side. Gotcha. Um, So in late July 1794, a group within the convention declares Robespierre and a few of his closest collaborators uh, to be under arrest. Um, The Paris city government, then says that they are going to come to the defense of Robespierre. Mm. So we really are on the verge of a civil war within the city itself. Wow! Mm-hmm. Um, the people of Paris end up siding with the convention. Mm-hmm. And what they think they're supporting is a purge of a counter-revolutionary. They okay. think that Robespierre himself mm. has become counter-revolutionary, that he aspires to become a king,
1: mm-hmm.
3: that he's a sort of Oliver Cromwell figure. And so in order to maintain the purity and sanctity of the Republic, it's time to get rid of Robespierre himself. Mm.
0: Now, so, what kind of journalism was happening to have created that particular response from the people, right? Is there...
3: Well, mm. there's, again, there's, an, there's been a steady process of blaming Robespierre for the terror, okay. which will greatly accelerate after mm. his execution mm. um, in Thermidor. Mm. So in the aftermath of the execution of Robespierre and his brother and the closest collaborators, people like Couton and Saint-Just, um, and then of more people who are accused of being Robespierrists. Mm. Crucial thing to know is the fall of Robespierre doesn't mean an end to the jailing of political enemies. Okay. It doesn't mean an end to political executions. What it means that the people who are jailed and are executed are executed because they are terrorists. Instead Mm. of it being the terror that is executed people for being against the republic or counter-revolutionary. So again, you could say that in the aftermath Mm -hmm. of the fall of Robespierre, the country really does plunge into total civil war. um, And it's the military courts established with the help of a particularly charismatic general named Napoleon Bonaparte Mm, um, that will eventually – bring the entire country sort of under the same sort of authority. But it's really military authority that's imposed in France in the early 19th century.
0: So we move out of this idea that is about um, liberty, Mm. as we say, right? About people being able to vote, to uh, not be beholden to – taxes are in here too, I forget, but that was more aristocratic. But the sense that we could be – on similar footing, equality yes. is right. These are these French Revolution terms, right. right? And and the end, what we get is Napoleon Bonaparte.
3: And the end, what we get is Napoleon Bonaparte, who tells a story about himself. And again, this isn't completely a fiction, but it's a very carefully crafted story about the rise of the little guy. Mm. Right? that he starts out a corporal.
0: He's just like Hitler.
3: And he works mm-hmm. his way up by talent. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was and skilled. He was so. Yeah. That's a. Big departure from the idea that you get to be a general right. because you bought your title,
1: mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm.
3: Milita- positions in military command in France before 1789, like any other title, like being a judge, mm-hmm. these are positions you buy. Oh. Um, hmm. Yeah, the revolution gets rid of okay. the sale of offices except to be a notary. Even today, you still buy a position right. as a notary oh. in France. Um, but so the Napoleon story is a story about the creation of a meritocracy. We aren't all going to be equal, but it will be on the basis of merit.
1: Mm. Um,
3: And Napoleon manages to tell this story very effectively because while civil war, the man we now call Napoleon, he was called General Bonaparte at the time. Mm. While civil war and chaos and really no central government is the state of things in France in 1795, 96, Bonaparte is off with his army in Northern Italy. They're living off the land, in other words, you know, plundering.
0: Plundering, sure. Uh,
3: and so his soldiers are getting paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he brilliantly has what are probably the first ever embedded journalists. What? Who are writing his newspaper for him. Oops, and smokes. they are saying, here is another amazing victory. Mm. So sorry to hear about the chaos in France. Meanwhile, the army with General Bonaparte is doing wonderfully.
0: They're doing great. That's interesting. Did Caesar do anything like that? I feel like he did things like that.
3: (laughs) Well, that's definitely sort of one of Bonaparte's models.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So uh, what can we call uh, the... I know this is a big question. You mentioned modernity, modernity coming on the heels or being born out of this idea of uh, perhaps the the fact that you can start over, that you can erase the past. Uh,
3: modernity is the hope hmm. that you can erase the
0: past. Gotcha. Okay.
3: The reality
0: hmm. is we, that you never can. We've seen the reality. It's Bonaparte. Uh, right. It's, and
3: so, well, the, the reality is that in the aftermath of 1789, there is the hope that you could maybe
1: mm.
3: erase the past. It's never achieved, mm-hmm. and yet we see in everything from, say, the Russian Revolution to modernism in architecture mm-hmm. or in painting, mm-hmm. the idea, you know, we're going to break with the conventions. Mm-hmm. We can start something anew. Right. Um, and that hope and ideal is, I think, something that you know continues well through the 1960s, sort mm-hmm. of enthusiasm for the space program. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we've sort of lost today. Mm. I think people are much more skeptical about claims, about the new.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, they're cynical about anything that's supposed to promise improvement. Um, and so some people would say we are now postmodern.
0: People do say that. Yeah, I'm not sure quite what that means. Is that just cynicism?
3: It means we are after mm-hmm. the period called modern, mm-hmm. when we thought that we could start afresh and begin mm-hmm. anew. So, in a way, postmodern is in part um, knowledge of the burden of history that we all carry with mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, postmodern in architecture, of course, also refers to a tendency to borrow from lots of different time periods mm-hmm. um, and create these sort of funny mm. pastiches. But that's a subject for another show.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, put it down. <laughs> uh, well, the uh, what would you say? Uh, you know, there, the, these are contentious things in terms of what what it gives us. You know, a lot of people would say, "What what did the French Revolution do?" Uh, that is as uh, you would say as negative as much as positive in mm. some so many ways, yeah. right? So, uh, is there a balance sheet for us on the French Revolution? Uh, you know, I, I, on the left, we tend to, I think, say this is a positive thing that we had uh, again rights, uh, as you say, uh, a continuation into the universal, you know, yeah. rights of of, of humans. Uh, this is this is obviously a, a, a check mark in the good column. What uh, what are the negatives of, of the French Revolution?
3: Well, the negatives of the French Revolution. Um, certainly are the uh, very close association between violence and revolution, mm-hmm. which, as I said earlier, is true perhaps of all revolutions, mm-hmm. but it's become central to how we think about the French Revolution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and may make it difficult to imagine other kinds of revolutions. Okay, um, But I do think that the ideal of people being able to start afresh mm-hmm. and of people being able to start afresh because they are equal mm-hmm. and they want to make the world a better place that is really something worth holding on to
0: mm. well it's a good way to end Thank you, Rebecca Spang. Thank you. That's our show. We'll close with the Marseillaise performed by Edith Piaf. Next time on Interchange, Punk Rock 101 with Paul Mayhern. This is a special 90-minute program detailing some of the greatest rock bands of the last fifty years. We'll travel from Indianapolis, Indiana to Lima, Peru, by way of Bloomington to track the birth and course of punk rock, which according to Mayhern came screaming into the world with the song Demolition by Los Psychos and continues its teenage rampage in garages and bars all over the world. We'll hear songs by the usual suspects, the Sex Pistols, the Ramones, but also by Death and Bad Brains. And even hear Leslie Gore's 1963 feminist pop song, You Don't Own Me, the lyrics of which are pure punk. 90 minutes of Punk Rock 101, next time on Interchange, Tuesday at 5.30, a special time on WFHB. I'm Doug Storm. Thanks for listening. I produce Interchange. Rob Schoon is assistant producer. Bryce Martin, actually Wes Martin, a studio engineer tonight, and executive producer is also Wes Martin. Stay tuned for The Jazz Menagerie, coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB.